You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> How is it going? Ah, you already know. Not, not doing do so know. great in the physical Gray, realm. I do know. Gray sprained his hoof. That's yeah. right. So you're not doing well in the physical realm, but how are you doing in the sonic realm, Gray? Well, I'm doing wonderful because we listened to one of my favorite albums today, and we're going to talk about it. And it's an album I've probably have been trying to get you to listen to for 20 years. So this is how I, I took you into it. That's how to do it. it you just <laughs> force the issue with mm-hmm. us. As Gray says, you can... What do you, you can you can lead the Conleys to an album or a movie, but you can't force them. I you had you had a line one time. I probably did. Sure. Yeah, it was but good, yeah, and can, it is true. You can lead us to it, but then you have to trick us into actually listening to it or watching it. Is that the thing? Actually, you guys tricked me the other night, and I'm saying it's not that it much fantastic. of a trick because. You gave me a drink that contained an alcohol that I don't like, and I still stand by it that it's not a good alcohol, but it was mixed enough, buried among other things that I never tasted it. Mezcal is fantastic, it and is I not. love it. And I ordered the drink from Gray, and it was delicious and orange and frozen and wonderful. And he said, are you sure? I think Mike's going to have a drink of it, and he won't like it. And I was like, <laughs> Gray, he's not going to notice if you don't tell him, and I'm not going to tell him either. And guess what? He didn't notice. You both told me right away, though. No, you had a few drinks first, and you said you liked it, and then we told you. Yeah, it was after you said you liked it that I asked, does he know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, I wasn't even going to do that. So, you know, Ray sold me out. But much like with a lot of noise, I always say it might sound good, but if the art sucks and the name sucks and the project name sucks, then I don't care. You didn't trick me. Okay, well, that's good. It was for your own good. We all that's had a great right. time. And that's right. I enjoyed the drink. You enjoyed the drink. So you're going to try to Gray trick me? Gray enjoyed that we left him alone for a little while and didn't order any more drinks. That's a win-win-win. This whole thing. Win-win-win. That was a fun night. Just that was a fun it. night. You didn't play any House of Raffna, though. I didn't. Oh, but, I could. You, you know, did play it, some White House. I sure did. <laughs> Absolutely sure did. But yeah, <laughs> we are talking if anybody... Los Angeles listeners or anyone who's going to be in town. The three of us are doing stuff at the Mermaid on Mondays, the second Monday of the month. So you can come on down. We've seen a lot of people down there. It's been a lot of fun. So come on down. We'll we'll make sure to try to remind everyone of that when it's coming up. But we're digressing so much. Before we get into this album, Got to do a little bit of recent listening. Gray, what have you been listening to? I went to see the Shape of Minds to Come tour the other day uh, and see John Duncan perform with a group of musicians. And he was doing, he had a laptop, but he was also doing primarily vocals, or at least he was singing for a, a good portion of it. And I grabbed the John Duncan Aberrant CD on Ideal. So I've been listening to that electronic weirdness from john i'm always curious what he's up to and doing the merch table looked great and i would have grabbed more i probably should have grabbed more but uh yeah that one's on ideal there i mentioned the sewer election debris assemblage disc that was on ideal a few listens ago and they're on the inner circle sub label which are all limited to 100 copies with 70 for public consumption and then 30 are given to the artists i guess so 70 for the subscription series and 30 are given to the artists so i've lucked out and grabbed both of these from the artists, uh, which is cool. 
Are they the first two releases in the series? It is the first two releases in the series, yeah. Uh, pulled out a classic that I had not listened to in a while, which is the Transmissions of Hatred CD classic, on Open absolutely. Wound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slogan, Exorder, Skin Crime, Krang, Geo, Grey Wolves, obviously. Um, I really love the X Order track 477. This is a live version, but the the album version of it also rules, and it made me want to throw on all the X Order material again too, and just dig into that. So maybe soon, maybe soon. Right on, classic comp. We got that up there. I can I can see the section it's in right now. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll pull that out after this. And I was feeling a little a little nasty in a mood, you know. Put on Suckliff Yugen Death Mask. Also right classic, good one. Uh, I think all the Suckliff you can see these from the that era are killer, and uh, yeah, that one does not disappoint. That one's on Death Factory, right? No, it's on Freak. I don't know why I mm. thought that. Yeah, the one on Death Factory. Actually, the, the, there's two on Death Factory. This one came out uh, same year as when pornography is no longer oh, enough. Oh, right, mm. right, which right. is on Death Factory, and yes. Victim is Beauty is also on Death Factory. There you go. Yeah, you so go. easy, easy to understand. Uh, it happens. Yeah, a little mix up there. And one of the things I've been listening to in the car, actually, especially repeatedly, is the House of Rafna Blute reissue. So getting in the zone for this, but that was actually what triggered wanting to talk about this. Although this was my first House of Rafna record that I heard. So this is the the one we're talking about, but Blute is actually a little nastier and closer to some of the tracks on the end of the, the record, I think, in terms of tone, closer to something like Genocide Organ. Yeah, that's been about it. Connelly's, what have you been listening to? Well, pretty... Small list for us as it's mainly been a brand new album that just came out. Tara, what have we been listening to? Well, you've been having to listen to a bunch of eroticism. Well, that's, that's true. And not on. having to. That's been incredible. And I've been getting to enjoy so that's been great. new recordings. And, but and, a newly and we've released been album. to Star. That is right. Star, Elephant in the Snow, the new Star album on Hospital, double and, CD. And my God, it, it is, it's noise. It's awesome. It's True such noise. a journey. And, and it does that thing that's, that Star does so well, and it surprises you. Yes. Like you have these moments and you just, you get jealous because the decisions are so, you know, fresh, so unique, so interesting. Uh, I absolutely love this very long album. Yeah, double CD. And it feels, it doesn't feel 90s. It almost feels 80s in a way. Yeah. I could see this being on Sound of Pig, being on Zusafu, being on Triple R. This a is weird definitely Triple Sound R of Pig. from the 80s. Yeah. That one of those strange things. It's It's got this very distinct feel to it. And very, you know, you know how we all feel about Star, a favorite around here. It's great to have what feels like truly this big document of stars first CD double CD. It's great. The, the titles, titles are, are great. Fan- yeah, oh, so they're funny. total star. They're yeah. fantastic. Yeah, elephant being taken apart piece by yeah. piece and re. I, I'm actually that, elephant being taken apart like is- an automobile and being. Put Re- back together piece by piece. I'm doing it totally wrong. I wish wrong. we had the track titles I'm doing right it totally now. I'm not going to look them up. But it's, everybody look them up. They're it's incredible. The new star, highly recommended from here. 
I haven't listened to it yet. I'm waiting on the double CD, but I am certain I'm gonna dig it because oh, yeah. I like oh, I yeah. like Star. Like like me some Star. Yeah. We've heard oh, it twice yeah. already, and it's, yeah, you know. yeah, it's it's great. So that's been the main listen, and yes, like Tara said, I've been getting to enjoy listening to her working on material, something that's coming out pretty soon. A split with someone pretty exciting. Yeah. So we'll we'll leave it at that. But I'm personally excited for that. And Gray, we are about to talk about one of your favorite bands and one of your favorite albums. Like we've been doing this year, we've been really focusing on classics from the entire world of noise, industrial, classic noise, power electronics. And this one fits somewhere in the middle of all that. In fact, a term that they would use for their music would be angst pop. And we are here to discuss Children of God by House Arafna Gray. You are going to lead us through this album as this is something that's been with you for a long time. Give us your history with the band, the history with the album. Let's do it. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, this was easily a purchase from Malignant Records back in the late 90s. Uh, when the original CD edition was available, uh, which has the slipcase, so I know I must have bought it. I think a reissue CD came out in 2000, so I must have grabbed it before then. And from the first seconds you hear it, you, I mean, the first, the opening track has a special kind of place, but once you get into the record, it's so powerful and unique and different and a mix of things I grew up loving, like, you know, something like Front 242, Nitzareb, like that kind of atmosphere the sort of belgian ebm industrial stuff and then spk genocide oregon like the power electronics stuff that i was also really getting into in the late 90s and still love of course all of that stuff so that mix of things was really surprising for me to hear back then i think the only other band that was really kind of treading those waters was thoraphone as well they and that was maybe a little later. They they went a little more rhythmic, electronic, sequenced. And there is a lot of sequencing on here and a lot of synthesizer, but it's so very crude. So it would have just been maybe seeing people talk about it, maybe reading the description and grabbing it and then falling in love with the aesthetic of how things looked. Now looking at it, it definitely has a late nineties feel in terms of the layout and graphic design. And they've, they've kept a similar aesthetic through the years with the label and with the house of Raffna stuff, but it has morphed and been refined obviously as a couple of decades can do to you. And of course this would be released on their own label, Glack Thorough. And for today's extra segment, we're going to discuss the label in general as it again is one of Gray's favorite labels. And we were introduced to it by the Nightmarish album that we did an episode on. Mm -hmm. But again, we'll get into the label in the extra segment. Now, you so you had already been familiar with, like you said, Geo, SPK. You were already in that world. And you all were also into stuff like Soft Cell and Synth Pop stuff, correct? Yeah, that of course. Would the mesh of all this together starts to give you that entrance into Hasarafna, I would have to think. Yeah, and it's funny. This I kind of liken this along the lines of another record that around the same time was like a band's second record 
that had come out and fans of the first record, some fans completely loved it or some listeners and, and others did not like it. I know another one of my favorite bands we've talked about, we did a, a seven inch episode on Novi Svet. I had friends right. that when the, when the first CD came out after the LP, they did not like that CD. Is that the CD, like the drunken band falling apart? Yeah, Faccia, Faccia, I love that yeah. CD. Yeah. I love that CD. Yeah. When it came out at the time, if you'd only heard the other, the one other CD and had like an expectation of a continuation of that sound, I understand that. And I think including more pop elements in this, that's one of those things that can alienate noise people and maybe even more so 25 years ago. Right. I think it's a different time now and there is more of a precedent for adding all different things into your sound because that is less could, jarring. Yeah. You have a way to preview now, whereas before you would go into it with an expectation and how, how much of a bummer was it when you would go out and you'd, you know, go buy a CD for whatever, $15 and then find out that you hated it. But sometimes that's a cool thing because what what that caused you to do back in the day is because you paid $15 for that CD and maybe it was your one trip to the record store that week or in two weeks, you had it and maybe you didn't like it at first, but then you're like, you know, well, I have this, I own it, I bought it. I'm going to listen to it again. And then you yeah. find that little thing you like, you're like, you know what? I kind of like that one track. I like tracks more two than and I six. thought. Yeah. Now I'm going to listen to it again. And then all of a sudden you, I was actually talking with somebody earlier this week about that, about how even with movies and with records back then, because your choices were limited from what you owned, you were able to get into the details more and, Maybe, yeah, if you maybe didn't like it on the first watch or the first listen, because you owned it, you kept going back into it as opposed to now, if you say you don't like something, you hear it, uh, you preview it on a band camp and you don't like it, you just don't think about it again. Absolutely. And back then, too, you know, like I said, I got this from Malignant. He would write descriptions. He would write his own little mini reviews. He'd been doing audio dredge scene before, and, he'd, and he would write descriptions of the albums from his point of view. It wasn't a... Uh, the label press blurb. It right, might have been right. there, but then under it there would be, and it was usually just his writing. I have a bunch of the old catalogs. I should pull them out with like stuff highlighted that I wanted to buy in them and whatever. But I very funny and specifically when you're talking about this, buying it, not liking it, and having to listen to it. I remember the day it came out, I went to it was either Sam Goody or Camelot Music and bought Nine Inch Nails Broken on cassette. Mm-hmm. Nice. I took it over to my buddy Dave's house and we listened to it and he hated it. And I liked it and he hated yeah. it. And I'm like, well, too bad. Cause we're going to be listening to this all the time. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And of, of course, eventually you're like, Oh no, this is actually good. It's just not what you expected on that day. You've been listening to pretty hate machine all this time. And now you hear, yeah. you're hearing this other thing. Yeah. So I think when I think of that, I very, i very specifically think of like someone who coming around on something like that. And Hey, Connolly's no, I, I have disliked things and come around on them. Uh, and yeah, my, the no way. <laughs> especially, especially as we get older, I think we are more open or accepting of things, some things, and uh, close-minded on other things. Absolutely, it, go, it goes both ways for sure. Getting into this album, you said the you know the first track is acts as an intro, but I gotta say this is one of my favorite tracks on the album. Hundred percent. It's 100%. so cool. Yeah, yeah. The like orchestral. The, like swells the timpani drums the vocals just pushing to the limits and that'll be one of the things we hear on this a lot is everything gets frazzled frayed and just distorted but it feels like a very natural and organic distortion on a lot of it this is the only track i think that that contains chords 
like actual multiple notes layered upon each other. Oh, possibly. There's definitely some a couple progressions later on, but I know what you mean as far as it feels the most chord composition for mm -hmm. sure. I, and I do like those strings. Now, we did do a seven inch episode on a track that's about to come up, but and I'm sure I asked this then, but it's been a while. D does House Arafna play live? And if so, have you ever seen them? No live shows. No live shows. Okay. No live shows. Very, very few interviews. Right. They and we pulled some up that we'll be referencing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mr. And, and Mrs. Arafna. Are, are always how they're credited. And, and even in reading interviews, they really do choose to, you know, be withholding of detailed information as to, you know, even what equipment they're using, what they enjoy in their spare time, like think if they have another profession, things of that nature, they really, you know, preserve that mystery, which of course we have said many times that we respect. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I did find in an interview when they were asked, can you explain what house Arafna means for you? This was the answer. House Arafna was found in 1993 when we always wanted to make music to work on a special sound. Our project gives us the possibility to do what we need to do. House Arafna, just as a term, means for us to appreciate a remote part of the human mind. So there you go. Exploring the remote parts of the human mind. Otherwise, they discuss the three pillars of their sound and their inspiration would be sex, emotions, and movement. Very true. And Last Dream of Jesus hits us with that movement. The yes. synth zap that comes in, the sort of, it's not lo-fi. Nothing is lo-fi about this. Even when it's frazzled or sounds distant, there's everything is well-recorded and well-put-together is one of the funny things about it is what you might, I would say crude, but it, none of it's crude, none of it's low-tech at all. Mm -hmm. I, I called it dead drums because I know what you mean when you were about to say you were thinking, well, it's not lo-fi. Yeah, no, I don't think it's that. It's dead. Yeah. That yeah. thud is it's a dead thud. It 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 just hits and it, it it goes nowhere until the next thud comes in. It's a dead thud. And yeah, this is the seven inch we did an episode on was this track and, and, a, and a B side. And I remember I asked somebody about House Rafton and when the first time they had heard it, this is when we did the seven inch. And they were saying that this track especially was a really big deal when it came out because it was something very different. But again, in related in this world, like you said, with Geo or, or, or other industrial going out at the time, even Brighter Death Now, you know, this is 98. So a lot of stuff was happening at this time and was preceding this. So when this track came out, it was a, a big deal at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And the seven inch also released in 1998 has two other tracks on it that are very good. And also the version of last dream of Jesus on the seven inch is different. It's over a minute longer. Right. Right. But it, it's pretty similar though. Right. It's pretty similar. Yeah. yeah okay. I think for Immer would also do that the seven inch version has different vocals than the album version. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, this, the, the vote now we're really getting a taste of what the predominant vocals are going to be. This very barking, commanding vocals, agony ridden vocals, last dream of Jesus time waits for no one. Jesus is on the cross waiting to walk beyond. And the vocals really direct the action in this one. The, the movement of the, track 
is determined by the vocals. At least that's how I was taking it on this listen. And, and that and rolling it, rhythm and drum thing, mm -mm, like it mm. does, it really does propel. And, you know, Tara mentioned movement in the quote from them, or, you know, they mentioned, and it's very obvious that is central to this. There's also another quote I'll read a little bit later that defines their production style. And and that that rhythm that we were discussing at the beginning of the song, it, it truly is a heartbeat. So, you know, picturing someone bound to die, the the ominous heartbeat like everything about this album their lyrics it's it's incredibly pessimistic like there there isn't like this you know bright outtake and respect for what humans have done with their earthly existence on this plane it is everything is just pitch black absolutely very nihilistic Misanthropic, yeah, very all, much all of the, the decay of the world. And Last Dream of Jesus is a great, really, the the track that gets you into the album. Children of God, the title track, is plays as an intro. Great intro. I all you know, I love a great intro. I love a great intro. I love a great outro. And then this is now. Here we go. Here's the template for what we're gonna see for the rest of this album. Yeah, and and when we hear Children of God, of course, we think of the the group children of God, but I don't think this has anything to do with the group children of God. I think it's literally the, the concept of, of children of God, like humans, the children of the creator referencing Jesus. I mean, there is a lot of references to God, Jesus, Christianity throughout mm -hmm. the record and throughout the lyrics. And I think even, I mean, even including the, we'll get to it, the last track, the cover, right? So everything yeah. mm -hmm. is, is tied to that in some way, I feel like. And yeah, Last Dream of Jesus kicks you in the face and Mein Lieben or My Life starts with this typewriter register kind of sample sound, some clicking, whirring machine. And here we get a little bit more of the introduction of something that I love that they do a lot. And that is the filtered white noise sequence stuff i i am mm -hmm. hooked on it always sounds good to me <laughs> yeah this this is my favorite track on the record and it is it has a different feel to it because there is a minimalism to this track and the vocals are different on this one and yeah that static turning looping with that synth following the loop yeah i do love that and i love again taking noise and putting it into this for lack of a better term, pop music context. Yeah, they are writing songs, right? There's no denying that these are yeah. songs and it's all the better for it. It's the construction, the attention to detail. I love the spoken vocals on this, that wavering synth that happens. And that's one of the things that I think is a, a real trademark to them. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and read that quote I mentioned just a few minutes ago Do right it. now. This is actually from the Butterfly album, which would be the record to come after this a couple years later. But electricity and simplicity, oscillators instead of instruments, frequency modulation instead of notes, voltage control instead of computer control, abstraction instead of perfection, reduction instead of saturation, high density instead of high fidelity, energy instead of entertainment. And that's, I think of that often with House of Raph. Now I think of that in terms of applying it to my own music in ways like this is an interesting way to approach and think of things. And you hear how they 
process, how they do choose modulation over maybe writing a sequence, how they do choose to reduce and strip down and do these minimal compositions, but then high density instead of high fidelity, right? These overloaded sounds, but minimal compositions. And I really like that. Yeah, that makes mm -hmm. total sense that that is their approach. All that stuff is exactly the way this album plays and the way these tracks feel. And yeah, I just, Mein Lieben was, was just a great one to me. And especially coming after Last Dream of Jesus, it was a great transition to keep the flow of the album going. Yeah, and it's very much like that Latin phrase that kind of pops up on many of their releases. And that's Rerum Concordia Discor, which is, the harmonious discord of things. So like that concept of, you know, the the beauty of the static, you know, the this simplistic beauty, the 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 lovely things that can be perceived in decay, uh, the the satisfaction of discord. The end of Mein Lieben brings us to Holocaust. And this starts with this frazzled noise loop, and we're back with the heartbeat rhythm and aluminum claps. It sounds like a piece of uh, like soffit draining, you know, gutters being like hit, but they function as hand claps in some weird alternate universe of pop music. Mm -hmm. And there's a sort of two note melody going on here. There's an alternating melody, but it, it also starts and when it, when it comes in, it sort of, ramps in there's always one of the things i think they also do well however they're assembling this stuff is there's oftentimes a cut or a you're not getting the whole picture or there's a little lead in you're, there's a trail of what came before but it works so flawlessly it's not everything starts right at the start of it you're getting a little before or maybe a little after it should have started you're catching pieces of something it's missing a little chunk and here we also hear the frequency modulation go into overload where that two note melody is ring mod or something. So it's really grinding and dissonant. Yeah. The doors slamming and the electronics are searing the, in the vocals. I like the vocals on this one because they, they play against the heaviness of the electronics, at least in the beginning mm -hmm. uh, of the track. And by the second half of the track, you, you get this effect on the vocals that to change things up. But I love that crunchy crunch of these electronics. Yeah. I noted in here that it comes back as aggro as last room of Jesus, right? That after the sort mm -hmm. of break it, the, it gets more to that tone again. And there's also around what I would consider the break. One thing you really notice is the repetition and mutation. And there's almost this, I refer to it as like a car crash, <laughs> like these, that squeal uh, yeah, I know what you mean. sound yeah. Yeah. that it's not that, but I can't ever tell what it is. And I, everything's just put together so well that these are structured songs, but there's all these weird sounds, samples, little bits of processing, something going on there to pull it into this other realm. And that car crash like sound and it doesn't sound like a car crash, right? But it's the first thing my brain goes to. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's unexpected and it only happens a few times in the song. That's another thing is not overusing certain sounds in mm. things. They introduce something. Maybe it's just there for a certain type of punctuation. And that's part of the really minimal composition too. I love that. I, it reminds me of something they said in another interview and that this would be on the topic of the color black, because generally 
their palette is reduced to black. They wear black. Their color palette is black. So this is what was said. The black color is a self-imposed limitation we use to reduce design to the essential. As a nice side effect, it's an exception nowadays to take ourselves off others. One color symbolizes for us the focusing to reducing the complex world full of redundant information. The main problem for people in the post-industrial society is to filter, sort, equalize, and quit information. So really, that lovely thing, like you were saying, Gray, they're not overusing it. They're not hitting everybody over the head with it. They're taking everything down to its very, very bleak and reductive form, and they only have to throw it out there a couple of times. Gray, I know they do keep a lot of their stuff secret or or cloaked, but is there any information about the gear in any of the releases? It's one of the things I feel like I've read before, and I, in a way, I hate to say this because I feel like I'm a broken record always talking about the Korg MS-20, but... Well, what are you, <laughs> I was like, you hear, talking you about the it. MS-20. <laughs> <laughs> a broken record here because it's... Uh, Projection, maybe. Uh, it's just what I hear places in, in these sounds, and I, I hear it here. But it also, you know, it could be uh, Yamaha CS15 or something else with some extreme right. modulation things. In fact, that wouldn't surprise me at all. So there's, there's maybe some list out there. They record to tape. I know that. Uh, analog, synthes- analog synthesizers are obviously of the, the, the order of the day. And there ever since first hearing this, my thought was always that there has to be a sampler in there somewhere. I don't know. Right. Right. Or where I don't, I don't know what they would be using an SP 404 or something. You know, I mean, this is 98 MPC 1000 came out in 95. Of course you could have done something with, you know, earlier MPCs. So really not sure what might've been at hand, but things are clean and cleanly organized. However, they also, mention voltage control over computer control, right? So opting to sequence things with hardware and, and with their hands, right? Over something maybe a little bit easier, but the, the way things happen and as composed as these tracks are, there has to be something at play there. I just don't know what they're both credited with structuring on some of the releases. Right, which, right, right. You know, electronics structuring. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the structuring, but I can only guess at what they've got in the studio. I swear there's like some photo somewhere or some snippet in an interview, but nothing I can find online lately. Of course, things in zines. I believe there was something in an old print zine that I probably lost in the archive. Right on. But yeah, if anyone knows, don't hesitate to to chime up or has a reference for it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we're coming up to a track that, had to me the strangest rhythm on the whole album. I would almost call it bouncy. I'd call it polka like. It almost has a polka like. It does have rhythm. a polka rhythm. Okay, so my first notes on this track are that the cheap rhythm brings back or harkens back to the Blute album, where there is this same mm. like CR78 or whatever, like old drum machine kind of preset rhythm thing. And so you get something like claves in there, right? You get like weird mm-hmm. sounds. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's a little, it's not harsh and aggressive like some of the other rhythms we've had here that are very much synth sampled or triggered. 
and sequenced. This is a a rhythm box, but a vintage rhythm box. And this and this it's like in three four. And this track could have easily. I'm usually the one that points out the three four time <laughs> stuff. Damn it! <laughs> this track could have easily been on Blute. Like this is. There's no question that this would have could have been on the first record, or was maybe something from the era of the first record that they decided not to include there and put on here because that was what it struck me as listening to it this time. And like I said in recent listening, I've been listening to that record a lot. This is right, definitely that vein. How long before this album was blue? How many years? 1995, and this is 98, so we got three years. But, but I think this they said that this was recorded from 94 to 97. So they were probably so they, working on, so yeah, they were there working you go. on this for quite a while. And maybe it was in tandem with Blute. Now, what what would you say? Yeah, you know, you mentioned in recent listening, but as we're getting more into the discussion, how do those albums differ? How does Children of God differ from Blute? You said this could have fit on there. What else makes Blute a different record? I've always thought of it as noisier, but listening back to it, there's a lot of rhythm on it. There really is a lot of this same kind of crude, cheap sounding rhythm, sometimes distorted and less overt sampling or arranging of sounds or little sounds you know more transient sounds it's more crude synth going crude rhythm going nasty vocals or spoken vocals and maybe some kind of string sound or some other synth sound under it so it's less arranged in the way that this feels like it is it's less it's less angst pop it's less like EBM or industrial fueled and a little closer to noise. Like I say, something like it's a cl- little closer to tennis. Organ, but when I say that, I'm thinking of mind control or something, right? It's in, right, that, right. in that vein, like and so I thought, or any of that sort of stuff. And that's the kind of the main difference is we don't have a last dream of Jesus on blue. There's it's not. Okay. There. I got you. That, that's I got you. That level of aggressiveness uh anatomy of a murder we don't have that on blue we don't have that level of st- structuring arranging composing it's a little more from the hip now that's recorded 94 to 95 also so some of this material like i said this could right. have been from those sessions this would not seem out of place there and you hear it's got the aggressive vocals it's got the sizzling synth sound to it it's got that that rhythm that cheap rhythm vintage 70s drum machine sound and so this one is definitely if you like the sound of this track specifically that check out the i mean check out the earlier record anyway it's fantastic but heck yeah yeah i think you know there there are it's funny because there are songs on blute though like actually there's a cover on this right at the end of the album which we'll talk about i mean we can drop it now it's it's in heaven, AKA the lady in the radiator song from Eraserhead, mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And they do their version of that. And on blue, there's a track called selection and it's actually, uh, everybody knows by Leonard Cohen. It's a chunk of the lyrics from that with oh, drum cool. machine. And so but it's not the same. It's a little noisier, but there's still, there's the lackadaisical vocals on that record too. There's the spoken, not hurried stuff that we hear on this spoken sung vocals and then there's also the really aggressive vocals on blute as well 
Right on. Well, this track definitely has the bark at the moon vocals for sure. They're barking. Yeah. Social automation. And then that's right. We come to Golgotha in flames. And again, talking about the Christ imagery. I mean, there's the sample. There's the warped, looped lyrics. The pray for me, die for me. Yeah, I love. I mm-hmm. like the. I like the way those lyrics come in, and you know, just the hammer, hammering that nail in. Yeah, I did, yeah. I didn't want to put a, a star, a heart. Felt that that would just put a cross. be too much. No, I, I put a big black dot. Oh, there you go. I I think you could put a cross in flames big, on big this black one. Black dots. Uh, oh yeah, I could put a cross in flames. This one was just for me. I, I enjoyed it. I like the bleakness of it. You know, like the imagery, I like I like what it brings to mind, like humans pride, uh, the violence of humanity, short sighted, judgmental nature of man. Can we truly be redeemed? Will we ever be redeemed? Just absolute darkness that haunted pray for me, die for me lyrics. Yep. It was just absolutely uh, bleak, pessimistic and misanthropic. It's big black dot. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's followed up by another foray into the more angst pop electronic end of things with anatomy of a murderer. I would, I would consider this the other single from the record, you know, the other, the other hit, if last dream of Jesus is the other thing that you could play in duck club and no one's going to bat an eye. However, it is still very noisy. It interrupted white noise. The, the whip snare. I'm not sure what the hell is going on there. Dude, that, yeah, the rhythm is so strange and warping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The spoken sung vocals. And this one, I know we talk about analog equipment, whatever. This one sounds like a perfect mix of analog and digital sounds to me. There's these really sharp, really aesthetically dry sounds that are used alongside the kind of the heavy dense analog stuff in here and this one also has the heartbeat rhythm it's one of those things they'll use at a few different points we start paying attention to that you notice it in so many other things like watching a movie or something it's it's used so Mm -hmm. often and it's i mean obviously a lesson taken from scoring things or taken from how we react to hearing something that mimics the rhythm of our own blood flowing through our body right yeah, totally. It, and and it does have that great it, just riding the murder rails. The electronics just riding those rails, riding that heartbeat. Yeah, this, this is, is a great one. This is for the middle of the night. This is a depressive zombie dance at like 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If this one were on the last room of Jesus seven inch, it wouldn't have surprised me. Totally. Either, right. Like that it would have felt. But. That one has Die Like a Man and Paranoia, which are two of my favorites also. Great ones. Great Mm -hmm. ones. And I really enjoyed the way you go. And again, I I I really like the vocals on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I knew. I knew that this was going to be another one that you really dug. Yeah, I like this Mm -hmm. one a lot. I really like the vocals on this one. I like the progression of this one. I am not afraid of life. And just that static, sick with warbling tone. This one has a great composition to it. Yeah, that harmonic synth. And it's playing a melody right that does happen here but like tara said it's not really chords it's not if there is two notes happening it's just so the frequencies can interfere and and go out of phase with each other i feel like it's not yeah, that 
di- digital organ sound. So you only really need one note because it's so full. Yeah. Very, very wobbly digital organ. Yeah, this one's really cool. And, and again, it has that rhythmic static that you like. Totally, it's totally. Great. I mean, that's the whole, the, I've, I'm going to think of this album as rhythmic static. That's mm-hmm. what I will think of when I think of this, that static forced into loops and rhythms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's why we're talking about it, right? That's the yeah. reason is because this is a record full of songs and those songs with complete with lyrics, vocals, everything, sung vocals, melodies, rhythms are structured from crude noise, static, and overloaded synth. Yeah, it's coming from a place of noise. It's coming from a place of industrial and put into this new way. And and it is so strange in its own right for bringing in it, it, well, in the way that it brings in elements of of like organized religion, Christianity, using those images. I mean, you see them so frequently, but used in this way, it's just a little different. Totally. Yeah. The way you go. And that I leads us it. into another another hit, another one of the the more aggressive industrial rhythmic tracks, which is electronic terrorism. Panic and paranoia. That is what this track brought to me. Yeah, this you can really see their, you know, love of SPK. They're influenced by TG. All all of those things kind of come into this, certainly. Yeah, the the buzzing synth, the sample. I love the sample on this one. The, the parts of it kind of repeat. The hand claps as rhythm that's it the and maybe it's not hand claps but it's just that like right 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 i love it so much and we noticed that the synth is mostly static here except the filter is being sequenced right so the oscillators are just grinding away but predominantly what we hear is changes in the the resonant frequency on the synth and the oscillators are grinding against each other very heavily there. So that produces that out of sync, nasty feeling highlighted by the filter sequencing. I love this one. And the lyrics are just the lyrics and vocals are great and capture electronic terrorism, right? Again, it's that mix of spoken and sung slightly aggressive menacing. Menacing is a good way word for this track. Always fighting. Right. Yeah. Always fighting. Menacing in the lack of emotion. I think it's it's the flatness and right. And you know when you're delivering something that could be potentially violent and it's done in a flat way. I mean, isn't that the most terrifying part? Like that. The deadpan. Yeah, the scariness of of serial killers when they are emotionless about the horror that they are, you know, delivering to other humans like that complete lack of empathy. And that comes about here with the, you know, invoking MK ultra electronic terrorism in a very literal dry flat way. Panic and paranoia. Arafna simulation. This is the noisiest track. And I mean, it's the most noise Mm -hmm. track. Yeah. It's really crumble. And it's, it's the most industrial without, this is the one that didn't, I didn't get the popness from. I got just pure Mm -hmm. industrial noise on this one. And again, hearkening a bit back to something like blue, 
And gotcha. I think they continue with the duality of this album uh, on future things. Butterfly has a little more pop to it. And then when we listen to like their last record, Ash, it's very minimal, very miserable. And has some of these ideas to it, but is is reduced even further. Right. So it's reduced from the pop side of things while there are still some songs that are catchy. It's also just a little creepier and a little more subdued, which, as I mentioned, happens to us with age, right? Yeah, yeah, well, sure does. You know, I mean, the things that happen when you're talking about exploring pessimism, bleakness, and, you know, as we age, we get to really see, we have the opportunity to experience the less kind things that people can do over time. And I think you have more time to really, you know, drink that in and also to confront your own demise and your own decay. And maybe it doesn't feel like time will be winding down, but as you age and you do, and then you have to think about death and it's present in your body and it's present in the world around you. And maybe that's the the bleakness that House Arafna is trying to delve into because so often people are reluctant to you discuss death maybe out of superstition that it will come for them or for, for whatever reason. That's what we're here for. And that's what the underground is here for. And to discuss these things in the most effective way possible. And that is through noise, industrial and the like. We arrive after the simulation in heaven and I've always loved that they covered this such a strange thing, a, a strange decision to make. And Leonard Cohen covered on the last record in part. Right. But this is a little more faithful cover in terms of following the original song. The I like white, her vocals on this. I really do. Too. This was such a nice way to end this album. The white noise and the organ synth and Mrs. Arafna's vocals. And if you like this, if you like her vocals, which aren't really present on this record as much as they would be in the future. Her, the, the what I've always thought of as her project is November Novelet. And, and she does mo vocals yeah. on that mostly. Yeah. He sings as well, but there's, that is more this vibe if this song were an album it's that like gotcha yeah i like this track a lot yeah and I, I definitely it was it was cool to end with her vocals yeah and that that came out a year after this record did so they were busy if you look at it in the in those terms they made a couple really great albums in this time you know it, was, it went children of god and then from heaven on earth and then butterfly came out in 2003 so five years later but still obviously at work doing different things and doing different working on the label as well. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, great way to tie things up with children mm -hmm. of God and children of God. We never discussed the cover, which is so brutal. It's so brutal. It's hard to look at. There's a child with encephalitis, a paralyzed child with encephalitis on the cover with a nun, which you assume is an orphanage. Uh, again, it can't get more bleak than this. So, Gray, we did it. We listened to an entire House Arafna album and enjoyed it. it. I know. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes us something you never know with us. Sometimes we'll do it in right away 
Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes 20 years. You never know with us. We don't, I don't know. I always tell people, just don't give up on us. Like, we don't give up. It 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 will happen someday. And yeah, this is this is a great one. And like we said, the the album on their label that really got us was the Nightmarish album. I love Nightmarish. And really, really dug that. That was a couple years ago. We did an episode on, if you missed that one, go back because Tara provided some great context. Oh, with yeah. What that album was all about. So, yeah, psyched. And, and you know, like you said, we've been really enjoying the classics. This one was a great pick from Gray to give a little different taste of an uh, of a classic a 90s classic something different something we haven't covered much this year in this style so great awesome pick super psyched this was really cool to do hell yeah thanks for listening to it heck yeah mm-hmm. well let's go pop over on the patreon and discuss the Galact thorough label because not only is this album important to you gray i know the label in general is very important to you so let's hop on over there go listen to children of god you have been listening to noise extra noise extra is brought to you by chondritic sound a home to noise artists for over 20 years by verdant weapons maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices and by our patreon supporters you can find our patreon at patreon.com noise extra and your support really helps you can find us on instagram at noise extra on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noiseextra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.